Welcome, Coffee with the Johns, Season 3, Episode 6. We are testing out a new studio setup. We're uh, uh, expanding the team a little bit, so we got kicked out of the the other side of the office. And um, so hopefully, you know, this is a little nicer, a little nicer setup. Uh, we got a lot to cover. Uh, inflation officially went down a little bit, and home prices are still going up. So we're going to be talking. <laughs> yeah. Who could have called that? We're, we're going to go into some details about that. We're going to cover actually uh, towards the end, we're going to cover some strategies and things that we're shifting, especially as far as like the wholesaling goes, reaching out to sellers, um, what we're doing different in our flip business and our rental business. So we're going to cover those strategies as well, cover some headlines and everything. So if this is your first time joining us, make sure you subscribe. And if you're joining us live, participate, you know, jump in, let us know your thoughts, your, you know, questions. If you have anything that you're dealing with in real estate that you would like our opinion or feedback on, any deals, any strategies, anything that you're working on, feel free to drop it in the comments and, you know, we're here to help. Um, You know, actually, that that brings up a a funny point I wanted to make. And it's, it's one of the things that, like, we... I, we get comments all the time, like in Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, and the comments are always so, oh, you know, if they disagree, you guys are idiots, you're clowns, you don't know uh, what you're was, talking about. And it's like- Something popped up on TikTok well, the other day. say something. <laughs> like, oh, on TikTok, and this is like, says the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm like, this is the guy that comments on TikTok, and that's it. Yeah. Like, all right. So I, I try to I try to approach it because the whole point of this, guys, it's it's to create dialogue. It's not we're not trying to piss you off. Even though uh, recently I've been told that people that watch us, uh, this uh, this lady that I know, she calls us Good John and Bad John. So I don't know who she refers to as the Bad John. I don't but- know. <laughs> I couldn't guess. What she know, said John, that, what, what's your guess? What's your she opinion? said that, I was like, damn, the bad John? And she's like, but he's just like nicer. And she's like, it's not that you're bad. I was like, no, no you know, exactly hurt my feelings is. already. <laughs> but but seriously, guys, like we're we're not here to hurt your feelings or offend you or anything. Like these are discussions. Like these are our opinions. We're not saying these are facts. This is just things that we're seeing, things that you know that we think it is. And if you don't disagree, that is perfectly fine. Let us know what you think, you know, because we like to have that dialogue. We want to create that dialogue because it f- helps not just educate us if we're wrong. It helps educate you. It helps educate other people on the chat that are looking and reading comments. That's the whole goal is to educate. It's not to offend people. We're not here to just, you know, like, get you guys all riled up. We're here to try to educate you and help you guys out and help ourselves out. Like if we're wrong on something, I'm more than happy to admit that we're wrong because all I want to do is be right. You understand? So if you have better information, better data, let us know. Just don't put a comment on there of saying, you guys are idiots. And then when I ask you why, and you just go silent. Like that's not an argument. You know, you're not, you're not really proving the point there. Um, so that was my little tangent. Hopefully, you know, it changes some of your guys' uh, way you comment and approach things. I wonder who's called the good John and bad John after that little tangent. <laughs> I, <laughs> still, I get so mad at people. The only way I can... don't get mad at people. I'm just, I just find it to be funny really? that really? I, I don't get mad. 
Oh, okay, you don't, man, all right, whatever. Monks come all the way over here to study me. So it's it's I I don't get mad. That shit just doesn't happen. But um <laughs> How's your week been? <laughs> Damn. Um, even our director agrees. <laughs> yeah, he's over there laughing. Uh week's been uh week's been good. Week's been mm-hmm. good. Uh, went to an event uh, this last weekend in St. Louis with one of our business coaches, which uh, turned out to be very good and eye-opening. It was a lot of fun. Um, had a hell of a time getting back to San Antonio. Uh, I was supposed to originally get back Saturday night at 7 o'clock, or 11 o'clock. No, I was supposed to get here at 11 o'clock. And then I started getting notifications throughout the day that my leaving flight was getting delayed and I was going to miss my connecting flight in Dallas. I call them up. I will give them customer service to American Airlines, give them props because they're like, like, how can I, what's what's the process here? And he goes, well, what flight, when do you want to go back? Um, and I said, we don't have anything available Sunday, but we can get you back Monday morning. Like, what time do you want to fly? Any time of the day you want to fly? I was like, oh, okay. What are your flights? Pick the 740 flight. Um, and then Sunday night, I start getting notifications. Hey, your 740 AM flight, which I thought was going to be one of the first flights, was not the case, and your flight's going to be delayed. You're going to miss your connecting flight in Dallas. I was like, oh, sh- here we go again. But luckily, it was early enough in the day they were able to push some flights, and I was able to get back later in the day. So I was supposed to get back Saturday night at 11 o'clock. I got back Monday morning at 2 o'clock. So I just made it back. But overall, the event was uh, a lot of fun. It was great. Um, so, What was the event about? It's called The Intensive. A lot of things about, um, it's really hard to explain, honestly. <laughs> like, it's like you were asking me this, it's like, until you experience it, like, it's hard to, like, picture. It, it, was, it. it was intensive. It was, it was very intense. There's a lot of things about going into your inner self and your, your own mind about, like, hey, what are your drivers of why you do the things you do? What are your passions in life? What are the things that you are wanting for you? Um, and have some like guided meditations in there to help uh, really dig into your own mind and soul of like what you're looking for and overall happiness, increase your overall happiness in life. So that was what it was about. And it was uh, very good. The the two people, it, it was kind of very yin and yang kind of aspect where you got um, our coach was one of the people up there, and he's a very Marine style, um, in your face, kind of like makes you push. And then the other person was very soft and subtle. So they kind of played off each other very well. So if you're interested in that stuff, kind of reach out and we can kind of point you in the right direction. They do it three times a year. And I'd, I highly suggest anybody that's looking for a breakthrough to kind of push through in their business or their life, uh, highly consider that stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the The coach's name is Mike Kitko. Uh, he's excellent. He's our, our mindset coach. We hired him how how far how long ago already? Like May is when we started. May. So we hired him back in uh, May, and it's uh, we were under the impression from people there like they told us he's a business coach, and that's what we wanted. And he's really a mindset coach, but that's what we talked about. I was talking to him yesterday, and I was like, "See, that's the difference is that like you think you need a business coach, but if you can fix your mindset." Your business gets the rewards. Yeah, you understand that's because you, like- you are the business. As the entrepreneur, as the business owner, you are the business. So if you can fix your mindset, then you fix and grow your business. Because now all, all I mean, that, that's the stuff we hired a coach for real estate as well, and we're looking at his business model and everything, and we're like, it's not hard what he does, but what's different is his mindset. He has a different mindset that is allowing him to make 
two plus million dollars so far this year doing all kinds of weird ass real estate, right? That, yeah. That's like, it's not hard what he's doing, but it's, he has a different mindset than we do. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very simple to where Mike even says like, I set out to be a mindset coach when I find out what people fix their minds, their businesses grow. Exactly. Right. Very <laughs> crazy uh, coincidence there. So definitely I recommend everybody check them out. And actually, you know, I, I wanted to kind of touch on that topic then being that we're on it, but that's the stuff that, we talked about before you and I, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but th- this past year has been really, really good for us, you know, real estate business wise. And instead of going out and, you know, spending it on luxury vehicles or, or crazy vacations or stuff like that, what we did is we doubled down on education, right? We hired coaches, we hired trainers, you know, um, we, we both for business, for real estate, for mindset, because the, that's what, how we look at the economy. When the economy is really good, that's what you use to invest in yourself, invest in your business. That's the thing I said, like, or I, I took it from somebody else. They said there's only uh, bad times and preparing for bad times. Right. It's like there's no such thing as good times. Like it's the bad times that really devastate and destroy people. Or the people that like PBD puts about, that's when people add zeros to their net worth. Exactly. So it's preparing yep. like when times are good, it's preparing for the next downturn to do that. So everyone usually just rides the wave of the economy and oh, whatever happens, happens. Like, well, no, when things are good, stockpile some cash, be ready, education, learn. Yeah. When things go down, enjoy yourself for sure. But if you prepare for the bad times, you can still enjoy yourself and that's in, those why, r- r- in those rough times. Also, that's why, like, why we are not worried about uh, the coming recession or if it turns into a depression or if it doesn't do anything. Like, it doesn't matter to us as much because we're prepared for whatever comes down the road. That's what we're doing. We're always preparing for worst case scenario. Even in our investing, every time we bought a deal, what's the first analysis that we do? If everything goes wrong and we're off on the rehab, we don't sell for as much and everything, are we still okay? Well, right? Like it's you always hedge for the worst. And then because you don't have to prepare for the best, the best is the best. It's going to happen. You're going to be, you know, you're going to enjoy it when that shit happens. But the problem is when the worst happens, you don't know what the hell to do. You're not ready. Oh, for sure. And that's where one thing our real estate coach and like he put it out there and uh, he mentioned it um <laughs> where he said don't think about it as your profit margin think about it as your margin of safety like what is your margin of safety before you start losing money and uh, when he said it that way i'm like you know i like at it looking at it that way much better than say oh what's how much profit you got built in the thing it's like how much profit i got built so how big a margin of safety do i have before i have to come out of pocket to or to fin- to sell the house, sell the property, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's very interesting to th- look at it that way. Is like look at it as a margin of safety, not as a profit margin. Yeah. So if uh, if it's your first time joining us, make sure you subscribe and give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying the conversation. Like I said, we're going to be covering uh, topics on real estate, the market, what we're seeing with uh, trends in the market, some strategies. So it's going to be a fun show. Make sure you jump in the comment section. Let us know any questions and concerns or things that you're dealing with. Um, and we'll answer them live and help you guys out. So you had a topic you wanted to start with that you were really proud about. So Yeah. Oh, it's just always the... So 
people always talk about like, oh, this city's got the best barbecue. This city's got the bar, Kansas City barbecue, and oh, Texas barbecue, and all this other stuff. And then when you got the arguments between Austin's got better, Dallas, San Antonio. Well, San Antonio, home state, home city, just was uh, listed as the number one best barbecue place in the country by. Uh, clever magazine or website i'm not sure what they use um a listicle site named clever used 2022 data to rank san antonio number one amongst the best barbecue sites across the country yes san antonio beat out all the self-claimed barbecue capitals of texas and even the world right proud baby right there mm. even though you don't like barbecue because you're weird uh san antonio got praised for its low prices number of barbecue restaurants they had to have uh, the count. Like, so they had to have counted Bill Miller's uh, balance of quality. <laughs> although I, I say like I can't do fast food barbecue, balance of quality and quantity, as well as hunger for brisket. The city was also recognized for its number of major barbecue competitions and events. Because what can we say? We love a good cook-off. Those barbecue cook-offs are pretty sweet because then you can just try everyone's different barbecue, different sauces, different styles, different everything. So, th so oh. this, uh, this magazine that, who, has anybody ever heard of this man? Is it like a San Antonio magazine? <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> are they actually known magazine? Yeah, they are. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Barbecue, I tried it when I moved down here. I've tried it quite a few times. Yeah, but you I just, just like meat I don't and understand. salt and pepper and that's it. I just don't understand when you cook a meat and then you have to drench it in sauce because it has no flavor. To me, it's like... I'm just eating sauce at this point. Like, you're a very simple person when it comes to eating Because I like meat. flavor. Like, if like, I need to douse something in sauce, then you fucked up. That's a flavor. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's like when you take brisket <laughs> and smoke it, and then, well, you can have dry rubs. You can have, it's like. I do want to give a shout out to Will Pritchett. He is the only person, he doesn't have a barbecue joint, which in my opinion he should. But he's the only person that's made barbecue that's that I enjoyed the hell out of. Yeah, that's what and I said. I still that's remember. what that's where they so. say the cook-off places. You get into the smaller like joint stuff. You go to the big production style. Yeah, they're gonna douse them in sauce and stuff like that's right. why I don't go to Bill Miller's. Like you can't have fast food barbecue. But you go to places like Rudy's um, and get their stuff. It's not douse in sauce. You can douse in sauce. Big Bibs, same thing. I was like, okay. you gotta go to smaller little joints like that. So this yeah, magazine trying to, trying is to, uh, trying to like make him. Expand this this magazine is ran by John Barr, so <laughs> a little bias there. Um, well, let's let's get into some uh, actual economic news. So inflation falls news. in July, but housing prices keep rising. So this was an article in Housing Wire, and if you guys want access to all the articles and everything, we're gonna put them in the show notes after we go live. You can read them yourself, look at the stats. I always recommend everybody do your own research because, uh, you know, I can read an article, interpret it one way, and then you read it and interpret it a completely different way. So, you know, obviously you should go with the way I interpret it, <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, definitely get, do your own research. Bad John giving his plug. <laughs> bad John <laughs> stepping in. That's right. I'm stepping into my role of the bad John for like, real. I'm right. You guys wanted bad John. No He's here. No opinion. It's, it's Bad me. John is here. <laughs> bad John is Thanks, here. Thanks, Luce. <laughs> um, all right. So the, big, the most significant part of this article was um, – Michelle Bowman, she's a member of the Board of Governors for the Federal Reserve. She says, I see a significant risk of high inflation into next year 
for necessities including food, housing, fuel, and vehicle. Rents have grown dramatically, and while home sales have slowed, the continued increasing, increasing price of single-family homes indicate to me that rents won't decline any time in the future. Recently, recently, gasoline prices have moderated, but are still roughly 80% higher than pre-pandemic levels due to the constraint domestic supply and the distribution of world markets. So... This is why I found this section the most important out of the whole article is because inflation went down a little bit and went from 9.1 to like 8.5 around there. 8. Yeah, and it went lower than they thought. Yeah. yeah. The well, prediction was 8.7. The, the results being lower or higher than they thought is just a rule of thumb. Like they're always off. <laughs> But anyway, it, so it went down, not a crazy amount, but it went down. But this is the point that she makes is the point that I look at is inflation went down and it's mostly due because of gas prices going down. That is the biggest drop, the, um, the biggest contributor to inflation dropping as much as it did is oil went down drastically. It was like closing in on like, what, 115, 120 a barrel. And now it's down to like 90. So that was a big concern that that was a big factor for the drop of an inflation uh, of the inflation amount. But when you look at everything else, food, housing, vehicles, you know, we were talking about like new cars and everything. Like now um, a thousand dollar car payment is kind of the norm. Um, That's it, it's it's oh nuts. So you and food prices, everything, all those things aren't dropping. So when they say inflation went down a little bit, yeah, but nothing's really happened like it, it it's not it doesn't do anything like what are your opinions you think the fed is going to ease up with the uh, interest rates because inflation went down a little bit you think they're going to keep raising them because it's definitely not where they want it to be like wh what are your thoughts that's a very hard thing to do because they they talk a big game and it's still the same thing as like they they're trying to slow the market down by saying they're going to do a lot of things and so they don't have to because they know how bad like how long it takes when they reverse course it's the same thing they raise by three quarters of a point half a point and it's another month that comes around before they do it's next the next meeting isn't till september so they're skipping august well they have two months of data to really determine should we raise again because it's a very long lag time to get this stuff to really have an impact mm -hmm. um so the same thing it's like if we keep rising and it, they overshoot to get it to cool down it takes a minute to all that break back off it's not like hey it's a gas pedal break or you can back and jump back and forth between the two it's really they got to ease it on and they got to ease it off and it's just kind of a yo-yo effect back and forth um so I, I don't know and i listened to a podcast that a friend sent to me uh by george gammon and i honestly got thoroughly confused the way he looked at it but his saying his it confused you yeah he started going i'm like okay okay and then he started talking i'm like i am lost i'm completely lost what you're talking about but his overall point that I caught is said the treasury market is look is he said the way he, I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but he said when he was reading it and talking to people that the market, the way the treasuries were working on the open market and trading is pricing that the Fed's going to reverse course. Right. And it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know how you come to that conclusion, but like, what do I think they're going to do? It's like, I really don't know. And 
I can't say like I don't care, but it's also the thing. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna react to whatever reacts. Like, is it gonna go here? Is it gonna go there? Like, I don't know. I don't think we're gonna have a huge lending crisis like we had in 2008 uh, ever again, or not ever again, but this time around. So it's something that uh, a friend of ours said. He knew somebody that was buying stuff in San Francisco in 2007, eight or nine. He's buying it for closure and reselling market and basically followed the market down. Yeah. So that's something we've honestly sort of been doing. Like, hey, it's like if prices start to drop, then we're just gonna buy lower. You right there? Well, struggling it, with that mic. Well, like I turn it towards me and it's like, yeah, you're gonna have to tighten it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. All right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, but no. for our business, and it's I like, mean, I'm going to follow it on the way down. It's like we've already started looking at things like, hey, if prices started normalizing, but it's why we track the things that we track exactly. and the, the price points that we're in. Uh, the market update that I put out last week, and I just ran some of the numbers for what I'm doing for Stepstone here at noon today. And they, those numbers look at it. It's like, hey, inventory is rising, but where is it rising? In the higher price point places. Medium price and below. Inventory is like it's still holding strong as far as like super 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 in demand housing for your median starter home kind of stuff. So so let's uh, let's actually unpack that a little bit because that that you send the screenshot of that and and I found it extremely interesting. You have these are the things that we talk about investors when it's like don't speculate. Look at the data. See what the data is telling you, and it doesn't mean that you don't invest. Like I, I actually went to a meetup last week and I spoke to a few investors and they're like, yeah, I think I'm just going to wait, you know, uh, until the end of the year to see what, what happens. And how many times have we heard of people saying the same thing and the market just passes them by, you know, because it's like, you're waiting for what exactly you, cause you, we don't know what the heck is going to happen. We don't know if we are going to get a crash. We don't know if they're going to delay it, if they're going to kick the can down the road, if it's going to keep going. And all the time, you're sitting on the sideline waiting and hoping for this magical crash that's so, that was supposed to happen freaking 10 years ago, and it, yeah. we're still waiting for it. And it's, it's like it's supposed to have happened every year for the past decade. Exactly. It so it, I look at it, and I'm like, you you're keep waiting. You're You're still yeah. waiting for all this. And the whole time, you know, you're losing out on a market that you could be making money on. Say, look, it must be nice to have a business that you have to do. I don't know. I don't know if they do. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm just going to wait and wait and wait. It's like, we can't wait. We operate. This is our full-time business every single day. It's how we, we make income. This is how we pay our bills, how we feed families. Yeah. It's like, I can't just sit around and wait three months to see what happens. Like, no, I need to watch what's happening now and make a business decision of what's, what's happening. Cause I can't just sit on the sidelines and, and just wait. It's like, it doesn't work that way to me. It's just like, you're a real estate investor, but it's kind of like, you're a part-time real estate investor. This isn't full-time business. No, right? for sure. Um, but so going back to that screenshot that you sent, what was the price points that you saw had had the highest raise? And what was that raise on months of inventory? I don't remember this specific one, but it was like for San Antonio, our median price is like 330,000. Right. And it was like the four, four fifty, five hundred price points that had the highest rise. And they, and they, from what I remember seeing, they had over three months of inventory. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, and I just did it for like the other major metros. Uh, well, and like as you got higher, those months of inventory rose. I mean, and they're still norm. They're normal. It's starting to look normal. Right. Compared to was like you made that comment. Like compare right now to twenty nineteen, and where are we? 
we're still under 2019 numbers and we had a booming market then mm-hmm. but people just don't like to digest bad news yeah they love the good news but when it starts getting bad it's like oh god everything's gonna go to crap oh shit what are we gonna do uh inflation's slowing down but it's still higher than what it normally was well, three years ago and at, at this last networking event i was talking to a few investors and they were telling me like man yeah, I don't know. The market's really cooling down, this and that. And and like it didn't hit me until they they were all kind of complaining about it. And, and it hit me that moment. I was like, no, the the market is actually normalizing. It's not cooling down. It this is we're not even where the market was when we were investing in 2018, 2019. Like what you're talking about cooling down is we're cooling down from a ridiculously insane, hot ass market that we had the last two years. Yes, in that relation, it's cooling down. But in the overall, in the last five years, we're still in a hot market. Like it, it's it's not really doing anything. The problem is that where I see the big issue for a lot of investors is those investors that have come in in 2020 and above, right? 2020, 2021, that they just started in this market because a lot of them think they're geniuses. Because they've been killing it in the market. Not necessarily a genius. They're just used to like those that depends on their level of arrogance and who they are. But uh, some people come in and they just understand like, oh, this is how the market works. Because it's the only thing they have reference to. And they don't study and ask questions and talk to people that live through. It's even crazy to say now. Like, go talk to people that survived 2007 and 8. We're doing real estate before and after. And during. And and during. Like, that's who you want to talk with. As like even talk to us, like people like, oh, what was it like before the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, it was very common that you go all out on a house, you put it on the market, and it might be two, three, four weeks before you get a house. Yeah. And that's sort of said you got to realize those things and you got to understand that to where like, I'm very happy we had those experiences because it's like, hey, I just know I need to, I'm going to start looking at doing staging again. I know I need to like really tighten up the constructions. Like I need to hire in nicer stuff for landscaping, the kitchens, the bathrooms. You need to make those areas pop. You need to do other things to stand out on your competition because I have competition now. Buyers have options. Like our price point, we just listed one um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, what was it? No. I don't know. Um, two, three weeks ago. And we still had all kinds of showings and we had all kinds of offers, but the, we had several buyers, which is the weirdest thing. They contract and then fell out like the next day because they got scared of the payment. And I was like, yeah. okay, odd, but whatever. You didn't understand what your payment was going to be before you got into it, but whatever. Um, so they back out. New one comes in. Talk to them, interview them. Do you, they understand the payment? Do they understand the price? What's their, have they lost some house? Why do they like this house? Asking questions about this house. And they're like, oh no, they love it. They love it. They love it. Accept the offer. Monday morning, they back out. What, what happened? I guess they just got cold feet. The aging's like, I don't know. They're super excited. And all of a sudden, like, they're just like scared. I'll go on to the third offer. It's like, so it just went down the line. It was, just, it was yeah. the weirdest thing. Um, and we had a fourth one. But then didn't realize that I don't know why the agent didn't pre-qualify this person. Uh, but yeah, they did. They ended up like not liking it. But so, but main point is, is buyers have options now. They like this house and they're like, Ooh, second thought, I want to go look at some other houses. 
And there was another guy that said, hey, sight unseen, we want to put in an offer. But then when they went saw the house, they're like, oh, never mind. We didn't like it as much as we thought we were going to. And they went and contracted some a different house two days later, which is very uncommon compared to six months ago. Yeah, Six months ago, last summer, a year ago, they were like, man, you take this house, and if you get an accepted offer, you better be happy you get an accepted offer. You're going to have FHA, VA, like all of these were FHA and VA offers. Like, that's going to be very common. But that was also very common back in 2018 exactly. and 19 when we were doing this stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, that that ties into this next article that I wanted to cover. Um, this one is uh, home inventory soars at record rate with U.S. buyers pulling back. So the number of active listings nationwide jumped 31% from a year earlier, um, a record high increase for third straight month, according to uh, Realtor.com. This year's jump in mortgage costs has sidelined many would-be buyers and the decline in demand is leaving more homes on the market. Sellers are responding by trimming their prices to compete. A potential uh, bit of good news for shoppers still in the hunt. Inventory has yet to return to pre-pandemic levels. And even as option increases, uh, competition for homes remains strong. Keeping prices elevated, the nationwide median list price in July was four fifty. dollars $450,000, up 17% from a year ago, and close to an all-time high reached in June. The affordability crunch and remote work policies have been pushing some people to relocate to less expensive cities. So this ties into what we talk about all the time, is affordability. People are seeking affordability, especially the the first, the first uh, buyer that backed out. The one thing that blew my mind was this house what what was the sell price on the on the house that we put up? Two two twenty. Two twenty. And their mortgage? It'd be like they said like twenty four hundred bucks. That's that, insane. Yeah, that blew me away. And like somebody mentioned this the other day, it's like it's still more affordable to buy a house than rent. I'm like, no. What market you in? But like it was somebody who mentioned it. Oh, it was in, in they were investing in Indianapolis. And I was like When's the last time you look at the rents and look at the mortgage payments? Like yeah. it's been more affordable to rent for quite some time. Well, what was the interest rate that they had? Because it was an FHA loan. I think it was like six percent. Like it was like five and a half, six percent. Yeah. So that that's the problem that you look at it. This we were we're selling at an affordable price. The problem is interest rates have gone up so much that people that are in those lower tiers that are lower income. They can't have twenty four hundred in that neighborhood. I ran the rents. They're not twenty four hundred. No, they're like freaking like sixteen hundred. Exactly like for sixteen hundred dollars, you can rent that house versus spending twenty four hundred to buy the house. So you look at those things, and you're buying an FHA. So you got your PMI, which is your your mortgage insurance. That's going to be an extra couple hundred dollars. That's like factored into the yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you have a lot of extra expenses that are associated with that. That when you think about it, and then taxes and everything that are going to keep going up as it, they keep adjusting that's, that's values. It's like I always said, like 2020, 2024 is like I think that's when it's going to be very hard for a lot of people because those those tax increases are going to start hitting those payments, those style of buyers, yeah. those people that bought the last couple of years that stretched themselves to the max. And, and these are the times that, as an investor, this is the time why we are edu- investing in our education and why you should too. You know, try to find a coach that has or is where you want to be. Uh, try to find education, get educated, because the next coming years, 
these are going to be a tremendous amount of opportunities that are going to hit the market from people that bought now at high interest rates, all of this, and their taxes are due. And now all of a sudden they can't even afford their monthly payment. You know, these are people that foreclosures might start going up or start, we'll probably start seeing short sales come back again. That's where I see uh, more short sales because everyone's yeah. like, oh, sub twos. Like, no, sub twos are yeah. going to be trash. It's like the, the payments are so damn high. They boom so much that like on FHA, maybe in some conventional stuff where somebody put big down payments. But from my experience, it's like people that put down big down payments bought more expensive houses that have always never rented where they're supposed to be like yeah. rented for what their payments are and stuff like that. Like those are usually like higher and nicer homes. Um, and it, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit when you say we're selling at an affordable price at 220,000. It's like, that's all relative to, and like, I, I kind of say that that's almost like almost an opinion of what is affordable. Cause I remember one gentleman well, I'm saying talking like, about, cause you have medium price, uh, even yeah, medium yeah, price in the whole U S is four fifty. medium price in, in San Antonio is three forty. You said, 330. 330. So we're at 220. Like, yeah, it's just like, it's all relative to like, yeah, that's why I had to say it's like, it's almost an opinion. Cause I remember somebody saying like, affordable price, affordable price is like 150. It's like, you look at the house you get for 150. Exactly. It's like, ah, those things have all changed. But one thing I, I've said, and like, we were talking about people like, oh, I'm just going to wait and sit on the sideline. It's something like that. Like, you know what? Like, I am glad, happy for those things because like, <clears throat> and I mentioned several times in the market updates, like, Markets going up like this cannot continue to go up like this because yeah. it brings in so much speculation. It brings in so many people that don't know what they're doing that damage the overall market. And that's what I was worried about is once enough people start getting hurt and raising enough noise, politicians get involved. Politicians get involved and start creating laws, rules, and regulations that make the market even worse. I mean, just look at healthcare in this country and like a prime example of that. Anytime the government gets involved trying to solve something, wind up making it worse for a lot of people. Yeah. So it makes it a lot harder. Well, so, and that's why, like, to your point earlier, right now we're getting back to what we consider to be a more normal market. So you buying a house and doing a half-assed rehab on it and putting it on the market and getting full price offers, those days are gone. Like, we're not seeing that anymore. You got to put a quality rehab on the market because of this situation. You're starting to see people that with these high mortgage rates, it, you know, we had this discussion before of somebody, people that were getting pissed, uh, again, on social media, mostly on TikTok. They were getting pissed because we said that, uh, you know, nobody cares about the price. They care about the payment. And everybody's like, oh, that's bullshit. Everybody cares about the price. My favorite one. No. When you go shopping for a house or even a car, what is the thing that you care about? Can you afford the monthly payment? If you can afford the monthly payment, that's going to tell you what you're going to be able to afford to buy. Yeah. You understand? That's what it goes off of. It doesn't go off of you going and saying, no, I want a $250,000 house and I don't care what the payment is. No, it doesn't work that way. If you can't afford the monthly payment, you're not going to get a $250,000 house. And if you can afford the monthly payment of a $350,000 house, you're going to go for that one. So again, it goes back on the monthly payment. So right now, what are we seeing is that people's monthly payments have shot through the roof. So now, what somebody last year could afford, a $350,000, $400,000 home, now they're having to buy, if they still want to buy a $250,000 home or less so they can still afford that and same how, monthly the payment. housing quality and style of housing. That's where I looked at like, hey, well, what's really happened? Like, you think yeah. about the psychology of 
people that were trying to buy in January, February, and March of this year. Yeah. Four inch rates went from four to six in a matter of two months. It was a very, very competitive market. I mean, people were getting outbid. There's like, we put offers, agents calling, we put offers in on seven houses. We've lost out all of them going over asking price, all those things like stretching their budgets to the max, try buy a house. And that kept going. So the depressing of, and they're looking at $350,000 houses, $300,000 houses. They're looking at them, looking at them, looking at them. all of a sudden interest rates starts rising, rising, rising. Well, when the interest rates are rising, your income wasn't rising. What you could afford was going down and down and down and down and down. So they're getting beat out and beat up and looking at 300,000, falling in love with $300,000 houses. All of a sudden like, Oh, Mr. Realtor lender come to you and say, we got to start looking at $250,000 houses. All right, let's go look at 250,000 change, whatever. Six months or not six months, like three, four weeks later, we can't look at 300,000 or $250,000 house. We got to start looking at $200,000 houses. Yep. Payments have gone down. Huge different in style of housing, size, lot, location, everything. So now not where you like, I want to be in this area because I can afford in this area. Now it's like, no, you got to go way over here on the other side of town and your housing quality, size, age, everything just went through the floor. Everyone's like, I'm throwing my hands up. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, right now we, we wholesale the property that was, I don't even know if it even hit a thousand square feet. Um, small little tiny home. The house was, you know, it, it was, it was fugly. Um, it was in a decent area, but it was old home, everything in that house renovated, retailed for 140, 150. Like that house pre pandemic, we wouldn't have even looked at because it wasn't even crossing the hundred thousand dollar value in that area. Mm. And now they're worth 140, 150. And I'm like, my goodness. So then even at 150 with the mortgage payments at with interest rates as they are, like most people that are you know, FHA and stuff like that. Like you're kind of looking in those levels and you're looking in those neighborhoods. And like, to your point, when they last few months or last six months that they were shopping around a much nicer neighborhood, much higher price. Oh, point. well, it's also like F if you're FHA, like I don't, I'd be shocked to see what, like, can you even afford, or can the house even qualify mm. for an FHA loan yeah. at $150,000 price point anymore? Like, I don't, I'm sure there are some out there, but I think the majority of houses, because they're, we're much, 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 much older. Like they have a lot of old wiring, old wood, things like that. Like it's like, the houses just don't qualify. Yeah. And that's where, like we say, like there, there's a whole nother market of real estate investing when it comes to owner finance, originating notes and things like, which is where that house went to as a buyer that was going to do just that originate a mortgage for a house. Like they can't get conventional mortgages and go from there creating and so And then they just create paper and then they trade and sell those, sell that paper. Well, and, um, and then here's another interesting article. Well, before you even change, like one um, thing, I, I, I this article they put in is the number of active nationwide jumped 31%. Like, yeah. you also have like percentages, how do I say it? The relative to what you're comparing it to. Did it go up 31%? Yeah. From 1 to 1.3 is a 31% increase. And now, it's also go, from a year ago when year, there yeah. was no inventory. Well, that's what I said. When there's no inventory, went up 31% from, I think, Austin, some of the stuff. I mean, they were at 0.7 months of inventory. <laughs> like, absolutely insane, abysmal inventory, nothing to choose from. So 31% from there doesn't even get you to one month of inventory. Right. So you have to keep those things in mind when you're looking at percentages. You're looking at things like, what percentage of what are you comparing it to? Now, if we were at five months of inventory and it went up 31%, that's at six and a half now. That 
is a big jump because that's a lot of inventory. Yeah. It doesn't take much inventory to go up 31% when you're starting at 0.7 yep. to get to one month of inventory. It takes a lot of inventory to go from seven to, or from five, when I say five to six and a half. It's like, that is something you got to keep in mind. And why I always say like, where's the prices going up? Where's the inventory going up the most? Is say like, I, I, I was thinking about this today. Would you rather make real estate's pretty simple? You make about 10, 15% on net profit over cost and everything like that of, of the sales price. Would you rather make if 10, 15% on 200,000? Or would you rather make 10, 15% on 600,000? Yeah. Percentage is the same, but your lifestyle is way different off of flipping $200,000 house for 10% and getting 20 grand versus right. 10% on 600, getting 60 grand. That's why like real estate people like they like to do the bigger, nicer stuff. Well, it also goes backwards too when you look at payment. When payments go up, because like when I've, I've said it before, when interest rates spike one percent, they it's a twelve percent increase on the mortgage payment. That's that's a fact. That's just basic math. Would you rather have a twelve percent increase on a two hundred thousand dollar payment or a six hundred thousand dollar payment? It's not dollar for dollar. It's percent for percent. So it might go up. $200 here, but it went up $700 or $800 on a higher price point. So when people see that stuff, it's like, ooh, it really squeezes the top end more. Yeah. So that's where I say like where inventory is still strong, it's in that more affordable price point for housing. So you got to be relative what 30% like and not look at like, oh my God, it jumped 31%. Everything's freaking out. It's like, but you got to see where you're from, where you were coming from to see like really think like, okay, logically, mathematically, where is this to make a, a uh, thought out business decision? So if you're watching the replay on this right now, this is the part, the, these are parts when you rewind because John talks a little fast um, and re-listen to that part because he dropped a lot of information that is extremely crucial to how you need to look at the market and how you need to invest and how you need to protect yourself. These are things that people don't understand, especially if let's say you are investing in higher end homes. If you are doing that kind of, uh, you know, even in rentals and stuff like that, like that's how those percentages really matter. And then also like to his point, 31% uh, inventory increase. People read that and you're like, oh my God, inventory is flooding the market. Is it though? Because it's 31% from last year. Last year we had no inventory. What's the percentage increase from 2019? You understand? Like I even asked them to like on the market updates. I don't know if you, if you could look at it or not, yeah. but I was like, can you start going back to 2019? And instead of looking at year over year data, look at 2019 to now data to see like, cause year over year, like 2020 went to shit. 2021 was an insane year. So you look at these data points and it's like, yeah, 2022 is going to look nuts. 2023 is going to look even crazier because it's normalizing. But when you compare it to what a normal market was before, where are we in relation to that? And when you look at that, we're still in a really hot market, you know, and you are starting to see changes where as an investor, that's where you need to adjust as a wholesaler. I mean, we're going to cover some strategies and stuff uh, towards the end, but as a wholesaler, you need to adjust the way you submit offers. It's no longer, let me just, you know, oh, whatever the seller wants, I'll get it on the contract because I'll find some buyer that wants it. That's no longer the case. You actually have to know what you're doing. Crazy enough. But if uh, if you are enjoying this, make sure you give us a thumbs up and a subscribe. Um, we really appreciate that. It helps us out a lot. Um, we already got 11 likes so far, so let's let's get that up there. Um, 
So I wanted to cover this next article where Blackstone is preparing a record $50 billion vehicle to scoop up real estate bargains during the downturn. So that alone are things that I'm interested in because if these big company, these big hedge funds that they have research teams, right? Because we're, we're, we're our own research team. So we're, research we're team. a very good research team, but <laughs> they have, you know, really deep research teams. They have contacts in, in Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, analytics. They have access to information and well, to put up $50 billion, they're not, you know, just like going to Vegas and taking a chance on the market. Well, also I say like more importantly, they say, oh, they have all that stuff and they do. They also have his political influence. 100%. To where they look 100%. at it like, hey, it, it's the too big to fail model. Like, we own enough houses. Yeah. And we say, like, we're in trouble and we will dump 2 million houses on the housing market and crash the housing market, which will systemically crash the financial system. Yeah. And it's like, well, we can't let that happen. Uncle Sam, let's print more money to save that. Let's put stuff out there to save that. So, like, and, and the they don't they don't politics. lose they don't lose because even if let's say the government was to say no screw you we're not going to print more money all right we'll tank the market when the market tanks we'll pick up all that all those properties at record low prices we'll still make a killing but your economy just took a nosedive mm -hmm. you know so i mean yeah when you look at it that way and they call me the the uh the the bad john and he's it's, over it's, here it's trying way, to scare the, the crap it's out of the people. The way you deliver the information—that's. I'm sorry. I'm too. Uh, uh, a permanent scowl. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I'll do it like you do. So the economy is gonna go to shit. Oh, so looks, good luck, looks, guys. That looks even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Joker over here. Um, but continuing with the article, right? It says residential real estate is arguably the most valuable and accessible segment of the real estate asset classes. Its popularity has driven its disproportionate amount of capital into residential real estate, particularly from institutional funds, pushing up valuations and pushing up yields lower and pushing yields lower. So in a regulatory uh, filing last month, Blackstone said it has secured $24 billion of commitments, $24 billion of commitments for its latest real estate fund called Blackstone Real Estate Partner X. Uh, combined with Blackstone's real estate funds in Asia and Europe, the company will have over $50 billion available for opportunistic investments. So they are in, in pretty much like preparing a fund like this. They're preparing for something that's going to happen that's going to make real estate like a hell of an investment for them to get into. You know, either... Prices then, are going to start dropping or inventory is going to soar and there's going to be desperate people selling. I mean, there's going to be something is coming down the line that well, they're they, preparing for. They, they, it's like they know a thing or two about investing in single family homes and stuff. Like they were one of the biggest buyers of houses in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. I, guess, I, read, a, I read a book or listened to it. I think it's Steve Schwarzman. He's the one that started... I think Blackstone or BlackRock and they spun off in different things. Um, but he talked about what they were doing and like the amount of money they were buying a month across the nation. It was like hundreds of millions of dollars being yeah. bought every single month. Like, my God, the the power to do that. And like, but the lessons learned on how to do that. 
of just saying like they were just going to foreclosures, just boom, 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 buying them because they knew the overall market for those price points were going to go through the roof. And where they're going to be buying, they're not buying $900,000 houses, no. million-dollar houses. They're buying entry-level basic housing because they've created. there's such a shortage of that. And I, I honestly blame the municipalities, the politicians, the lobbyists for making it so goddamn hard to build a freaking house. Oh, yeah. Because after 2008, yeah. all the banks got bailed out, but all of these builders got put out, of, put out of business. So now there's no competition. So they can essentially themselves, your big builders, can control the market because it's so hard to start an entry-level housing production-style product. You can't put it out there yeah. unless you're building communities of 200 homes, 300 homes, and things like that. And it's just so expensive because like, it's just insane. Like We've been through it these last two years, three years, trying to build a freaking house in a major metro is extremely hard and extremely expensive because I think we were re like a third of the cost to build a new home is literally in red tape. Yeah. And, and before you even start building, before you yeah. even break ground, a yeah. third of the cost of a new home comes just giving it to municipalities, giving it to inspectors, giving it to the, the cities and like yep. the fees, the fines, all this other stuff. And because they also want to say, oh, these real estate people are making money, so we'll levy all the fines on them, not realizing, like, that just makes the situation even worse. Yeah. So, well, so it kind of goes into what we talked about a lot that, in my opinion, I've been saying this for actually years, is that we there's no other route for the U.S. to go but to become a renter nation just because of the sheer policies that we've had. Like you look at and, and and it keeps shaking out the same freaking way because you look at it now you're having uh, I was listening to a report this morning about how the first quarter of this year you had twenty something percent so I can't remember the percentage but it was between twenty and thirty percent of the homes bought in the first quarter were bought by investors of residential real estate. So and they're it saying it went up that high. Yeah, they're like it went up tremendously the first quarter of this first year. First quarter, okay. Yeah, and so you're looking at these things, and I'm sure a lot of it is these hedge funds and institutional buyers, and we're seeing it. Like, I mean, I'd be we curious do, to know we more do about an, that. Like, I did, a, I did a, uh, I pulled a, a buyers list from PropStream just to kind of see who buyers are, who's doing what, and when you pull a list of buyers that own more than 100 homes, you see these hedge funds that are popping up. And in San Antonio, in 1,100 homes, 2,300 homes, like they don't own a couple hundred. They're owning thousands of homes in San Antonio alone. Like I was shocked. It's I was be, shocked by those numbers. Uh, man, and it really sucks because I, I look at that and it's like, and they put out such a terrible product mm -hmm. too, like for rentals. they don't care. They don't care. And no. it's like, oh, they're just driving returns. So like mm, that hole in the wall, that, that customer service, like it is dog shit yeah and like i've heard a lot of people like the rent is nineteen hundred dollars and like you look at the product and it's like this is a terrible house like it really is a terrible house but they look at the data but and they're like well what are you gonna matter. do yeah it's exactly it's like and you can't make good product yeah that's the problem it's like taxi service sucked uber comes along and makes it tremendously better because you can do it like that yeah building a house putting a product on the market takes months and hundreds of thousands of dollars red tape regulatory process it's like and it's yeah. not even that people aren't trying we had a buddy of ours uh well, austin that he he was telling us how they were trying to manufacture homes 
offsite where they will manufacture the panels, they will manufacture everything so they can bring down the cost and then they pretty much ship it to you and you kind of put it together like a Lego, right? So it cuts down costs, cuts, it cuts down labor, cuts down a lot of things. Was- well, no, it's like the cities go like, no, then city inspectors are going to go, I can't see the plumbing. Yep. I can't see this. I can't see that. We won't allow it in our city. And 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 this is what I talked about, like inventory getting this goddamn low brings this crap into the market and they corner a market. Yeah. And then now they can control it. And that is what will bring in regulation around these things. And they always overstep saying, oh, you can't do X number of houses until you do here. The big money will figure it out. If the returns are there, they will make it happen for themselves. Who's going to get hurt is your middle and lower lower tier investors that make it much more difficult to invest and buy houses. And that's where it's like, I am glad that the market is slowing down. And if it slowed down to the point where things were getting negative, I'd be happy with that. But I really, really worry that that's what's going to happen is they own too much inventory. They have too much political influence. They have way too much money and power and they are going to corner the market for themselves. Yeah. And they won't allow a new product to come on the market because it's like, Oh, the house isn't safe. Just like we're dealing with one of these a freaking rental property that like now I have to rebuild a freaking electric meter on a house that worked just fine before because regulatory red process. So now we have to spend three thousand extra dollars just to put a rental property back on the market. And it's and please don't uh, misunderstand. Like we're not saying that you shouldn't put out a safe product and you shouldn't build a house correctly. You a hundred percent should and you must put out a good product. The problem is that that's not what they're holding up. Like the majority of the holdup with all of our new construction has been before we even broke ground on these properties, before we even poured the foundation. Like it wasn't even that, you know, oh, they're holding you up now because of, the, uh, of you know, the plumbing, because you did this wrong or that wrong. That to me is acceptable. It's like you should make sure that the house is built correctly because people are going to live there. But it's not even that part. All the stuff they hold you up on, it's Here. arbitrary politics that you're like, what the hell no, are you guys grab. looking it's, at? It's a politic, but it's a money grab too. So here's a prime example. Ask for the money then. Don't delay the project. How much uh, do you need? And then yeah. they get offended. Yeah. So here's a prime example. When they build a new house, you have to do something in the air conditioner now called a fresh air duct that goes to the outside of the house because modern day houses are built so airtight mm-hmm. that they don't have air seepage from the outside and the air quality went down. They realized like, hey, we need to have fresh air coming to the building. Okay. Fine. I understand that when I renovate a house built in 1940 and add air conditioning to it, I have to add a fresh air duct. They're not. Yeah. And they're not built the same as these like new the houses. reason you have like, to do like, the new house is because of all the ceiling, all the windows, all the, the tight, the, the things airtight because it was built yeah. airtight. When I renovated the 19- moisture barriers around when there, I everything. built, when I renovate something in 1950, the soft is different. The roof's different. Everything is the different wall, in that house. Yeah. There's plenty of fresh air moving into the house because the structure of the house really hasn't changed. Yeah. But I have to spend an extra thousand dollars to put a fresh air duct in that house because that's current code. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Serious? And, and it's like, though you add all those things and now that's time, that's money, that's inspections, all that stuff. That now has to be charged more and passed on to the end consumer. It's like, and those are the things that it's like, that's the crap that worries me. That makes it very hard to build when you have things like that, make it so costly. Like I renovate a house. I got to get a rent. I got to get a rent of $2,000. Otherwise this isn't worth it. Hedge fund buys it. Doesn't do that. Band-aids the hell out of the thing and still charges 1950 for the house. Yeah. 
Now, and it's one of those things that you look at it and you say, you know, like you're, you're making it not just harder for investors to put out good products and to, you know, take these dilapidated, dilapidated homes and bring them up to current standards to what they need to be so a family can move in. So now that's the, it adds more to the cost. So then the seller is having to take a much lower offer for their home because it's either, well, we got to pay you less for your home because we have all these extra expenses. But if you, as the seller, try to do this yourself, it's going to cost you three to four times more than it's going to cost us because you don't have our contractors. You don't know how to source the materials that we do. You're going to hire somebody off of Google or somebody that's more of a homeowner contractor. It's going to cost you a small fortune. So you either spend the small fortune and lose anyway because by the time you sell the house, you're barely going to get that money back or you stay in this house that's just falling apart all around you, right? It's like all of these regulations, like that's what I, what I find interesting that they always keep saying, we got to protect the end consumer. You're not though, yeah. because you, you can't protect the end consumer. You understand? Like by doing these things that it's such a blanket policy, you know, it's like, I understand it's got to be difficult. It's got to be hard to come out with a policy that's like, this only affects certain things. But I'm sorry, like, don't go into politics if you're afraid of doing hard work. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. it, you know, I don't care if it's not easy. You still have to think about, like, this does not make sense. Like, when we built that house and they wanted us essentially to move the slab five feet over because it was pre-built already too close to the, the property line, you oh, know, yeah. on Clear Lake. So it's like, guys... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not moving the slab that was already there. Well, and then it, it made logical sense. Like, and we didn't have to move the slab because we're all like, yeah, that's stupid. Why would you do that? The problem was it took us three months yep. and a thousand dollars to get that logical thing to everybody to go through the political process for that issue. Thousand bucks in three months. Where do you think that money went to when we sold that house in consumer paid for it? Cause it's like, I, I, Luckily, the, well, as long as the market can bear it. And so luckily the market did what it did and it worked out for us. But it, it's it's things like that. It's like, really? Perfectly good slab. Like, why do you have to do it? Now I have to go to this board of adjusters where I have to get nine of 11 people to agree. Like, and one of them didn't show up. It was yeah. just one of those, like, this process of like, why would you have to do something like that for this scenario? Uh, this, this is how it works. Like, for who? All right, whatever. <laughs> this is how it works for who? Yeah. And how many times have we talked about it that you have how many departments, even in, just in San Antonio alone, that all affect the housing uh, market and they don't even communicate with each other. They have contrarian rules that their own rules are affect the rules of the other department to for the same property. Yeah. That's like, guys, <laughs> you know, do you guys not talk? Like when you're coming up with these things, you not think, hey, let me reach out to this other department to make sure that we're not. Well, the thing is, it's gonna be very interesting to see. Like we have a, a close friend of ours that's building a house in a in a county, mm. no jurisdiction at all. They don't have to have any inspections. Nice. 
So they just have to adhere to building codes. And he's like, so I was like, how are you going to verify? He's like, oh, we're going to hire third-party inspectors to go out and verify a few things for our safety. Because like, I don't know if they're going to cut corners. So I want to have somebody else go in and say, did they cut corners or not? Because they can go in. They don't have to do that stuff. They don't have to have an outlet every so many feet. They don't have to have that fresh air duct for something like that. They don't have to do all of that stuff so they can keep their costs down. It's like, mm, I don't want to have that. So they don't have to put it because there's no inspector that's going to come and say that's against the city's adopted codes for building standards mm. you get to choose then so that's why like you you have more counties housing being built outside of city limits yeah. to get away that's why a lot of the houses we buy we look like how do they just have the plywood and then immediately the insulation and sheetrock well because back when realism was building homes here he built in the county specifically for that reason because he didn't have to listen to the city's bullshit yeah yeah yeah, and you're and I mean you're gonna have to do it, and it's gonna be the way to find now more affordable housing. Is you're gonna have to be leaving the cities because that's where builders are gonna be able to build where it makes sense. If not, you're gonna stay in the cities, and home prices I believe are gonna still keep going up because you still have demand that's not slowing down. Um, I was I had a little article here that it was um well it's a demand. You're right, demand isn't slowing down. The problem is prices aren't slowing down right so that the, the, you have a lot of people getting priced out so another thing i've been looking at um i found very interesting when i was running the market updates information of looking at the permits single family housing permits are dropping multifamily five plus commercial units is skyrocketing yeah Rent, i mean we're like renter nation was it houston i think they had some like 300 percent increase in multifamily unit permits year over year yeah and where it's like Where's the housing going to come from? It's going to come from apartments. Like you have like, uh, it, I mean, where you grew up, like New York, like if you get into the city, like it's all apartments. Yeah. Like you don't, you very, you, unless you're super rich, you don't own anything. It's like you rent. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's where we're going to become. It's like you said, renter nation for your middle class and below. It's like your only option is you just have to rent. That's it. And that's where rent control stuff's going to come in. That's where all the stuff, like those controls, and like it's regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. And yeah. it, and it's like, what do you do to fix it? It's like, you don't. Like it, it's, it's how nations and policies progress until something drastic happens, like terrible stuff, like reset everything. You build on top of these things. It's very odd that something deregulates an entire industry like that. It has happened, but... And that's why when, like, uh, you know, people are saying, you know, prices need to come down. Prices need to drop. Like, why? Oh, because it's unaffordable. Your mortgage is unaffordable. You understand? Like, your prices, let's say price, home prices drop, but interest rates keep going up. It's still going to be unaffordable. It doesn't matter how much it drops. So it's going to be one of those things that's like, what gives? Your income needs to go drastically higher. You know, interest rates would need to drop. But then home prices are going to go up. We talked about this before plenty of times. We still have a supply issue. We still, like, this was the, um, this past year was the first year that home builders actually crossed a million properties building in a year. Or a, a million home starts. Doesn't mean that they were finished, but a million home starts in a year, which is what we should have been for the last decade doing consistently, which we weren't. So you're looking at this, that's like inventory is still like they were coming back on the market, but not at the pace that makes sense. And then I read this article, how Americans earning $200,000 or more are flocking to these top 10 states. 
So you're having people that are earning over 200 grand moving. The number one state was Florida and then Texas, Arizona, North Carolina. So when you say prices need to come down in Texas, when somebody that's making over 200 grand moves to Texas, these houses are a hell of a deal for them. You know what I mean? Because they're coming from the coastal cities. They're coming from California, New York, where over there, $200,000 salary <laughs> doesn't get yeah, you yeah, anywhere. Yeah, you're, media, you're, you're entry-level housing yeah. at that point. But in, in Texas, you're making $200,000 a year. You're going to buy a pretty decent home for yourself. Yeah, you really can. And that's where I, you you see those things. And that's why they like like, where are people moving? What jobs are going there? Because you always ask, like, yeah, but what jobs are coming? What jobs yeah. are coming here? But now it's like, it doesn't matter what job is coming here. It's who's coming here with what salary. Because your job could be literally anywhere now. Yeah, the work and from home and all that. And you can work from home, yep. stuff like that. To where, yes, that is, you still need to understand the jobs are coming here. But now it's becoming also, you have to look at who's moving here with what salaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff like that. The only thing that sucks about those 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 data points is they are so old by the time that information comes out. Cause yes. a lot of it is dependent on like IRS information. Somebody's got to go dig through the IRS website. And if you've ever looked at a government website, <laughs> my God, it, it hurts your brain. Every time I try to go into like Freddie Mac and then look at their websites to get the data. I'm like, yeah, it's like what are I'm we like 10 19- minutes in and I felt like I've been doing research for three hours. Like, I'm like, still oh. operating on 1995 or windows 95. Oh there? man. Like, like just hurts my eyes to look at the data. I'm like, come like, on guys. I wish government. And I think that's, they do it on purpose though, because it's like, we don't want that. We don't want pretty charts for you to see how, how shitty things are. You know, it's like, that's we want you to purpose. read through the data. Well, that was our purpose. It's not the fact that like the pre- the government process of getting money to change they don't that even stuff use, is like they don't even use prices like numbers like a hundred thousand dollars they'll write out a hundred thousand dollars in words that way it gets blurred into the whole paragraph so yeah, it's they, like, they lay over each other yeah, because there's not enough room and very yeah. fine tags and you're like I don't yeah. understand what I'm reading here oh my god yeah <laughs> but but yeah I mean it, it goes back to the same thing guys it's education you gotta educate yourself you gotta invest in yourself this is the time to do it. I do believe that the coming years are going to be rough. They're, and they're going to be very rough for a lot of people that are not taking the uh, the appropriate actions now that you maybe are making good money, you're doing good deals, you're getting paid. And if you're not taking the adequate actions and all you're doing is buying that new car you always wanted or taking that vacation you always wanted, it's like, I get it. You want to travel and you feel you deserve it and all that. And it's like, okay, but still... Try to prepare first, and then if you have leftovers, go do what you got to do, right? Hire the right coaches. Hire the right mentors. Take the right education. Look at the market. Build your resources. Build your network. Build your connections. Like we, That's the one thing that John and I have done since we started. We built relationships and connections with literally everybody and anybody in real estate that is doing something different than what we're doing, something uh, the same that we're doing it, but better, whatever it is. Because if the market shifts, like we said before, people are still going to be buying houses. People are still going to be renting houses. People are going to be still investing in real estate. It's not going to change. It's just going to be harder. It's going to shift who's doing what. And knowing these people is what's going to get you to be able to invest, is partnering with them, is working with them, is tapping into their resources, their knowledge, saying like, hey, you know, I see the market tanked and what we're doing is not working. What you're doing seems to be working. Can we help you anywhere? Can we do something? You know, we have great marketing channels. Can we do some marketing for you? Can we, you know, whatever it is, 
we open ourselves up to more opportunities. So make sure you're uh, you're taking that into consideration. And again, if you're enjoying the content, make sure you give us a thumbs up and uh, subscribe. Oh, also, you can join our text community where you can text us uh, one-on-one, ask us any questions anytime if you're having issues with a deal or anything like that. So you can text YouTube to 210-794-9898. Um, and you can reach us at any time. We do also uh, certain videos and content and stuff that's just just for that community. We don't put it out anywhere else. So make sure you join that community and uh, ask us your questions and whatever issues you guys are having. So I had this other article that I wanted to cover real quick of Zillow Home Values and their sales forecast. So Zillow Home Value forecast predicts a sharp slowdown in annual home value home value growth for the current pace of 19.8% to 7.8% growth through June of 2023. Expectations for the year ahead have been revised down from Zillow's previous forecast of 9.7 growth in the year ending 2023. Uh, the new forecast predicts a steeper drop in appreciation before stabilizing at levels closer to pre-pandemic level. So their prediction is that inflation is going to drop to 7.8 by June of 2023. That is still 7.8 appreciation. That is still home prices going up. Okay, it's also thinking like that 7.8 that that it's all relative to the price thing I'm talking yeah. about. That means you buy a house for $200,000, don't do a damn thing to it and then hold on to it for 2 years, your price your home value just went up a was at fourteen percent. Yep. So you're now selling into like the two thirties, without doing a goddamn thing. Yep. Like that's still way too hot. Yeah. Yeah, because home prices are gonna still keep going up, and what you discussed earlier about taxes being an issue for people, it's gonna keep being an issue because if home values keep going up, your taxes are gonna keep needing to get revised. You know, and they're gonna be going up. So if you can barely afford your mortgage payment now, you're sure as hell not gonna afford it when those taxes go up. Unless your income went up. So, and and this is coming from Zillow and their data and all their resources. I mean, Zillow, yes, never trust a, a Zestimate, right? Um, but it's, uh, I have a friend, a buddy of ours, Tim Allums, that he has a mug that says, um, the A in Zillow stands for accuracy. So, <laughs> no, yeah. For those of you that don't catch that, you know, Zillow in their name doesn't have an A. So, their estimates are definitely never accurate, but they do have housing data and all of that. I mean, they they supply, you know, they have all the properties, all the information. So, them saying that it's adjusting and it's still going to have a 7.8 growth by the end of 2023, like guys, that's still inflation. That it's still prices going up. And that's their adjusted forecast. So those are things that you got to consider when you're thinking about, well, I'm just going to wait to buy, or I'm just going to hold on until the market crack, uh, crashes, or this happens, or that happens. It's like, did, do you know that that's going to happen? What, what, are, what are your facts on that? You know, and one point that like you made that our, uh, what our coach was talking about, even in a crashing market, you still can flip houses. You just Buy them lower and sell them lower, right? Mm. So you you're still following the market down. You don't you know it's not just because home prices are dropping that you can't buy properties. 
You can still buy properties. You can still do flips. It's just you got to be more conservative with the flips you, you do. You got to watch it. Yeah. So Brian Pauling reached out and said that did Zillow and Open Door merge? I heard about this, uh, but it's like they didn't merge. So if anybody's ever gone, like say you're looking at a car, uh, and you go on to what's it, Kelly Blue Book or something like that, mm -hmm. and you get on there and they have on there, what's my instant offer for the house? They have that instant offer feature of it. Yep. That is what now zillow and open door are doing so if you're like a home seller on zillow trying to go in there and sell your home via zillow you can now say oh instead it's just like what they used to do with uh, when zillow had their instant cash offer piece like what would zillow buy my house for today yeah open door now has that ability with zillow so zillow basically said we're not going to do this stuff because we're going to lose tons of money doing this but we'll allow open door to pay us so we can market their properties and do that yeah, so, so that's basically Zillow what it is. did try to do it. Well, and they, they did. Failed. Well, they did. They just said that you had. They were a big eye buyer. Uh, they were trying to compete, and they realized like, hey, we can't. This is not profitable for us. We are not going to do this. Uh, we're losing too much money. We're going to drop it. Yep. And then they just did a partnership with Open Door since they already had that capability, and now they're just profiting from that and saying like, Open Door, you can pay us to be on our platform, and you can receive instant cash offers from Zillow. So that's what they did. Uh, Brian, to answer your question, they didn't merge. They just have a, uh, a partnership uh, around that. And, and Open Door recently got a, yeah, a little slap that's on the wrist. I, that's what I was just getting ready to put on here. And it's like, and it's no surprise either. It's like, and I was actually happy to see this because these eye buyers, like you look, we've come up against them several times and like Open Door, like, oh, we'll buy this house. Like, oh, they're willing to pay like really almost like retail price. Yeah, that's their initial offer. And then they're going to come do inspection and beat you down. Then they're going to tag this fee and go down. Then they're going to go down and say, oh, our selling fee is 5% more. And when it comes down to it, it's like, yeah, they just got you and they scammed you into this thing and deceitfully marketed to you. And that's what they got hit with. So the FTC came out uh, last week and said, took action against online home buying firm Open Door Labs, Inc. for cheating potential home sellers by tricking them into thinking that they could make more money selling their home to Open Door than to the open market using the traditional sales process. The FTC alleged that home Open Door pitched potential sellers using misleading and deceptive information and in reality, most people who sold to Open Door made thousands less than they would have made selling their homes using their traditional process under proposed administrative order open door will have to pay 62 million dollars and to stop its deceptive tactics open doors marketing materials included charts comparing the consumer's net proceeds from selling to open door versus on the market those charts almost always showed the consumer would make thousands of dollars more by selling to Open Door. In fact, the complaint states the vast majority of consumers who sold to Open Door actually lost thousands of dollars compared with selling on the traditional market because the company's offers have been below market value on average and it costs have been higher than what consumers typically pay when using a traditional realtor. And this is my comment to you. <clears throat> When you say the government never does anything good, it's like, all oh, these people should have learned their lesson and compared things. It's like, well, when you have deceptive trade practices coming here and hurting people by using slick sales and fancy charts and doing it, it's like, that is the point of a government agency to step in and to be like, the way you're going about it is damaging, hurting a lot of people just to make yourself more money. So I agree. That being said, they didn't do shit. All they did was that what they did do, the fine is nothing. 62 million, I mean, they'll find other stupid investors like they've been doing 
and raise another round of funding to keep funding their Ponzi scheme. But what they did do is bring more awareness to the public of Open Door's tactics. So when we deal with sellers and they tell me, you know, oh, we got an offer from Open Door, all we do is educate them. We're like, understand that that offer they're giving you is not what you're actually going to walk away with. You understand they have a lot of hidden fees. They have a lot of other shit that they go through. Um, and you're going to be getting much lower than what you think you're going to get. And we never, we never try to tell our sellers like what they're saying that, oh, you're selling to us, you're going to get the same or more than what you do on the market. Bullshit. You know, we always tell sellers, look, if you want retail, if you want full price, you should list it on the market. You understand? You list it and you go on the market and you're going to get full retail. But why do you want to sell to an investor? Because maybe you need to sell fast. Maybe you have needs a lot of work. Maybe well, we've all the things that we've gone through. People don't want to deal with uh, agents. People coming through their home, having to clean up their house, having to show it so many times. Deal with appraisers. Deal with inspections. So if you don't want to deal with those things, then you you're gonna pay for the convenience of selling to an investor that's not gonna do any of that. Yeah. That's not going to do an in inspection. They're not going to do an appraisal. It's not going to be, you know, with any contingencies or concessions or anything like that. They're going to come in, give you an offer if you're dealing with a good investor, give you an offer. And whatever that offer is, that's actually what you get and what you're going to walk away with. You know, so it's like, we don't lie. There's nothing hidden. If we say you're going to walk away with $130,000, we put it in the contract that you're walking away with $130,000. Of course, if you have a mortgage and stuff like that, that gets deducted. Like we're not paying you that on top of your mortgage. It's all in price. But you know what you're getting from day one. We don't mm -hmm. close if you don't know, if you're not comfortable with the terms. But Open Door wasn't doing that. You know, and it's and we knew that. I mean, we've been talking bad we've about the, Open Door for We've seen their, we've seen their offer time. several times, and it's just one of the yeah. things like – is there a place for an open door? For sure. When you say those things that yeah. you just said, it's like, but it's also like, I don't see how they're profitable doing that. Oh, their thing is like, they lose money on the house, but they've scaled to where they make money off of providing other services. Yeah. That's what they do. But I'm looking at, just looking at their stock. And since they opened, they're down 45% uh, from their opening and they're down year to date. They're down 60%. Or it's just like, you know, I would love to see them crash and burn for what they what they do, how they've done it, because I do think they do provide a very manipulated, deceptive yeah. process trying to make profit profit off of that stuff. And now they just move their headquarters to San Francisco, so they're like a tech company trying to just bombard people to get houses. I mean, it's just kind of same we are talking about earlier, like big investors buying houses that could have sold to the retail market. Yeah. It's like, that's what they're taking off the market because mm -hmm. there is not enough competition for building of standard homes. There's a lot of custom home builders that build at the higher price point of, I mean, here in Texas, 500,000 and up and stuff like that. And you have some big builders doing that too, but your entry level house point that people need to get into that you say your median household income of fifty five, sixty thousand dollars cannot afford a house. Yeah. Because those people cannot build cheap enough and the houses that are for sale are being bought up and pushing everything up across the market. So we have a comment here from Alicia. She's our acquisitions manager. And she puts uh wouldn't it be up to the consumer to do their homework and know they are lying. We we ourselves have had clients 
tell us they thought about going with Open Door, but after researching, they will lose money and decided to work with us. So I, you know, I'm very big on you taking ownership for your life and doing your own research and everything. That being said, that's not the case. That's not the majority of the time. That's not the case. Like homeowners are homeowners they're not they're they're not real estate investors they're not real estate agents they don't know what's Most going on in the market financially savvy no no especially in those areas those price points and everything like people are just blue collar workers like they're not they don't know what it is they just see the convenience they want to be you know they just want this process to be easy how many times are we dealing with sellers where they are still just so overwhelmed with the process of selling their home like yeah. so overwhelmed so it's it's one of those things that's like you know, you look at it and you say, no, it's understand. That's why one of the things that Alicia does and that we always done in our business is that when we deal with sellers, what we do is not negotiate. We educate. We focus on educating our sellers, like letting them know, like, hey, if you're going to put it on the market, that's fine. Just keep in mind it needs to qualify for financing. If not, it's going to be a cash offer because you maybe you have foundation issues. You have an old roof. You have things that are not going to qualify. Yeah. You know, the market has shifted. Like, we just, we give them everything for them to know, you know? So then that way they can make an informed, educated decision. We're not trying to just tell them, like, no, your only option is this. You have other options. It's just, what is it that you need? Oh, yeah. so you need to sell well, it's quickly. It's also like they said, like, and what they've done is like they, they did their own research, but they the research was tainted. They lied on all of their data. And when you're a big yeah. company like that, you get all kinds of publicity. You get paid sponsorships. You get all these other things to come out, like how good it is. You can get all kinds of fake reviews. You can get all kinds of stuff. And like what Brian's putting yeah. on there, it, it's like <laughs> it's it's shocking. Um, it said Open Door reported loss of six hundred and sixty-two million million dollars. Over double the 253 million loss revenue reported in 2020. The higher loss was driven by stock based compensation, which ballooned to 536 million compared to 38 million in February. So how is this well, not a Ponzi scheme? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and it's it's the whole ordeal of the whole blitz scaling thing. It's yeah, like yeah. let's just see how big we can get. Let's drive stock prices. Explain drive blitz return. scaling. Blitz scaling is like you just try to scale at all costs across all platforms extremely high stress extremely but it's all driven off venture capital yeah. wall street money of literally just trying to get that next round of funding like you said like, but that is how money works it's all that way it's trying to get to so big and then try to stabilize yeah but at some point it's like also trying to get like can we get big enough not to fail yep like if we hold this many millions of homes in our inventory and the market starts slowing down and crashing it's like literally we have enough inventory that we can crash markets Yep. So you better step in and help us or we're going to crash markets. And and, and it's in the not, market we're in and the, the type of economy we run now, it's like, oh, we can't have that. Yeah. We can't sustain that. Systemic uh, risk, I think Rickards talks about, it's like the systemic risk of how interconnected everything is. It's like we can't let this one market crash because that market will spread to this market, which spreads to that market, spreads to that market. And then it damages everything, which now spreads to the financial markets, which spreads to everything. Like we better print money. That keep this and and this is not to say that at some point down the road, if they stay in business, Open Door won't be a good company. Like they could very well turn out to be a great company I hope not. <laughs> years down the road That's because my bad side. like they just grew so big, they made all the mistakes, they did everything, and then they kind of stable off into a company that you know you can actually do business with and whatever, or maybe not. 
But definitely the practices that they're doing now are shady as hell. They're shitty as hell. And it's one of those things that's like, yeah, if the homeowner, if the consumer is not educated and they're not well informed, they're gonna very they're gonna regret selling an open door. You know, they're definitely gonna regret that move. So with that, I wanted to use this last part of the show to kind of cover what we were talking about earlier on strategies and things that we're implementing, things that, you know, how you need to be looking at real estate to prepare for this, um, whatever comes down the line and to prepare for the current market. So first off, let's talk about wholesalers. Wholesalers right now, you need to be adjusting your model from, you know, the homeowner wants a certain price, you're contracted because you're going to get a buyer. That's no longer the case. We're seeing wholesalers right now fall out of contract because they contracted way too high. You understand? So what you need to do is find yourself a stable list of buyers that you can count on, you can depend on, like real, actual buyers. And most of these are going to be your buy and hold buyers. Most of the investors that are going to stick out through whatever happens are always going to be your buy and hold buyers. So you need to build yourself a nice list of buy and hold investors that you know what their criterias are, you know where they're looking to buy, what kind of cash flow they want, all the numbers. So then when you're negotiating, you're not wasting sellers' times and you're actually getting properties that you're going to be able to sell. Another thing that we've, uh, we're looking at is the key to getting a lot of deals, it's going to be in the follow-up. We, again, you're going to have a lot of wholesalers that don't watch our show and they are not going to make these moves. That's why they suck. And yeah, and then they're going to, and, and I'm the bad John, and I'm the bad John. Nice. Like I said, it's all in delivery. Yeah. I smile when oh. I give you bad news. So, okay, I'll smile when I, when yeah, I your call you stupid. Looks, your, your smile's oh. forced. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, uh, you, you look at these wholesalers that they're not adjusting their, the way they're investing, they're the way they're making their offers. So, we submit our offer and they're saying, oh, I got a much higher offer. Okay, we'll follow up. Because when we follow up a month or two from now, that wholesaler couldn't deliver. So now this seller is getting even more desperate and they're realizing that their home really wasn't worth what that person offered. And they start coming back to us again. It's happened already. People are coming back and they're saying, hey, is your offer still good? You understand? So following up, it's not just, oh, you submit an offer, they declined it, and now you're just stepping out. You know, it's like, all right, well, they don't want, the, they didn't want the price or whatever it is. So, you know, this is a dead deal. No, it's not a dead deal. In this market, the chances of somebody's going to be able to close for that much higher than you is going to be very, very low. You understand? So you still have a shot if you hang in there and if you take the time to educate them. Now, on the flipping side, what we talked about earlier, you got to do good renovations. Any renovation that you do, make sure you're doing quality quality rehab, putting good products in there, putting a good product out on the market. You know, you might have to go back to staging homes, taking really good professional pictures. There's no more of this hoteling stuff. You know, we're seeing less and less on that. Like you're going to have to take down a house and actually do a good renovation and not cut corners. I wanted to cover real quick that case study <laughs> pretty much of that investor that reached out to us wanting to sell a package deal. Of those three houses. No. Oh. And what what was the combined value of all three houses that they were trying to sell? Was it like six and change? 
Yeah, because they were oh, all in the two hundred. So right? like the F, the the ARV like retail fixed up. What, what, what they were listed for? Because they were all listed. Weren't they all listed uh, for like two hundred and change? Yeah, I want to say it was it was around that or something like that. So, um, yeah, so it was what, like high fives, low sixes, something like that. When you looked at it, but it was, it was listed like they were under market value, but not by much. Yeah, and two of the three had massive foundation problems. Yep, tens of thousands of dollars, including plumbing, that would be in there, and they and they were only listed like twenty grand below what the retail value was when they're fixed up. And when we went, they were looked, rehabbed. They were, they were not rehab. Okay, no, no they, they, were, they, they were rehabbed. They weren't properly rehabbed, but yeah. they were rehabbed. It's one of those things. Like I even mentioned it to him. I was like, God, I wish they. When I see things like this, I wish they just wouldn't even have tried to rehab it because now they want to get a return on their investment, and I can't give them return investment because I got to redo everything that they just did. It, it was that bad. Yeah, and went and looked at all three houses, and I told him like, dude, we're gonna be low. We're gonna be low. We're gonna be low. And I shot him an offer price. He's like, Oh, is that just for those two houses? Like. <laughs> No, that's all three, bud. Like every one of these houses needs to be completely redone. Like it was so shitty of the work that was done. And uh Yeah, you're talking about four inch foundation drops, five inch foundation drops. Um, two we gotta three, we gotta and- do all the flooring that's gonna create massive cracks and everything in the walls. That was she rock patches and stuff they did were Oh, well, when they scraped the popcorn ceiling, they didn't even take it all over the edge. So like yeah. the entire perimeter of the house still had popcorn that was just painted over. Yeah. It was like, dude, these like I got to put out a good product now. Like the market is not what it was six months ago. Yeah. And like Alicia just told me, she's like, oh, they did a price drop of five grand. I was like, Ooh, they better boy. keep dropping. And like where two of the houses were, were not nice areas. No, no, they weren't. At all. And I was just like, dude, I'll give you an offer. But like, I don't want to, I'll give you the offer. Like, I don't want to take this on, but I'll take it on at that price. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, he's ready to offload them. He'll let them go in a package deal. It's like, they're trash houses, yeah. completely trash houses. Yeah, even the cabinets they chose, we had to, you know, all, all the cabinets needed to be redone. The vanities, I mean, they they must have had like a blind guy with a hacksaw cutting the back of the vanity to fit the plumbing. That that thing looked like it, it, like somebody grabbed it with their teeth. It was like ripping out the back panel of the vanity to fit the plumbing in. Usually you cut nice, clean squares. This thing was splintered, broken, brand new vanities. It's like, you can't even fix this. You got to throw this vanity out, put new vanities in. The tile, the the grout job, everything was just- And it was the type of person that Larry Roberts puts in there. I suspect those rehabbers will be dropping out of the market soon. And I agree. And it's like, when you look at the deed records, they were bought in like 2020, 2021, and tried to rent them out for a year, get the cheapest of the cheap, cheap, cheap contractor to do the work and to make their profit margins bigger. And now they're trying to sell on on the open market- and it's like, sorry, bud, the open market's and, not paying for and that's crap the like issue. that anymore. You're trying to sell retail, but a retail buyer, you're going to get what? FHA, VA? That especially shit is two, not going to qualify for houses, financing. Like, the two houses, like they were like, ugh. And like, that is going to be an FHA area, but like, you got to have it still look nice. And they both needed foundation issues, both had plumbing problems. And it's like the values were, they were, and that's also something we've started doing is like, we used to run comps on a six month back date. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to that. Yep. And like, we're like, no, there was such a massive market shift in April and May that we're only running three, mo- uh, three month yeah. comps now, because if you try to go back six months, it, it's like, yes, prices were high, but now there's ones that are lower and everyone jumps to the, has a tendency when they don't understand market and they just try to do things quick and not understand how this business works. They just go, Oh, run my comp six months back. Highest price homes. I want to do those. Look at the sales price of those. 
when did that house contract and, and sell? And six months ago, that was February. Yeah. So this thing sold in February. What market were we in in February? Even February, March, April, they were May, you were still getting ultra high prices because there was still massive amount of competition you can get low low amounts mm -hmm. but now you have the problem where interest rates spiked through the roof and inventory went lower because when you look at appraisals when you actually study and not just look at the money how does it determine how's an appraisal determined they look at the most recent house in the closest proximity so now when you got four houses that have sold in june and july they're not going to use the houses that sold in february march and april yeah. they're going to take that lower price so I did that in my analysis and prices dropped. And that's what we based it off of. He's like, he never even responded when I told him it's for all three houses. But it's just like, you got to look at it that way. And if you're just a fly-by-night, quick investor, looking after the money, a realtor or, or investor, yeah. that's where you're going to get hurt. And, and that, I hope and, you do. And that's definitely, I, I think this investor's for sure, uh, definitely a new investor. And he decided to jump on three big ass projects all at once because the market was hot. It's like, guys, that that's the problem with speculating. When you speculate, the market is going to smack you down. And we were, we were even doing the three months of uh, looking at comps even back last year, but we were using it in reverse because we were seeing that in how prices kept going up. So when we were getting ready to price a home to sell, to buy, we are always conservative. We always go for the conservative number. To sell, we don't mind pushing because we know that if anything goes wrong, we have our conservative number that it still makes sense. But we were looking at what what's the most active properties? What are we seeing? Are the prices going up? Are people selling for higher? Now... We're using that same strategy, but to see in the complete reverse where houses are dropping, houses are selling for less. So we're looking at like the most recent solds, the most recent actives, because those or are going to be pending our, sales. Yeah. It's like, I'm calling like, Hey, are you guys over asking price? Yes. We're over asking price. How much? Well, I, they won't tell you. It's like, yeah, but like, can you give me like a range? Are you just like five, 10, yeah. 20, like knowing where that house is going to close. So like we were having to call and do research above because yeah we go to the highest price sold use the most recent and then you have pending ones in there it's like I want to see what their offers were accept that because it's pending which means they're through option they put real money into this house now yep. it's like the likelihood of that closing but now you got to go backwards the other direction and people that have come into this market it's pulled into this market the last several years they don't know how to do that no. or if they were just wholesaling they don't care they don't understand that stuff. Yeah, so, so it's definitely as a flipper, as a rehabber, you got to pay attention to those numbers. You got to run your numbers, look at the comps, look at the comps definitely in the last three months, in the last two months, in the last month. Look at those numbers because that's what is going to ma matter when you put your property on the market. If something for whatever reason changes and prices are higher, then great, you made more money. But if they keep dropping, you're going to be stuck in a really bad position. And now for buy and hold. Buy and hold, we, we are switching our strategy up a little bit where before uh, the last couple of years, we were really pushing rents because we just could. It got to a point where we weren't even running comps for the rents because the comps weren't Didn't accurate. Matter. Like it was, it was something that you look at the comps and the comps, if you're watching for the first time, are comparables. You know, what are houses that are comparable to this one renting or selling for? So the comps, we were running for rentals, like we would see 1600 but we would put the house on the market for 18, 1850. Well, that's just the issue. Like you can't run comps. There is no place you can run solid rental comps anymore mm -hmm. because the process to list something on the MLS is so terrible and it costs money, takes time. It's, it's worthless. We list everything through Zillow and all the 
and more non-property manager style people that own property all list through Zillow. And Zillow does not tell you what something rented for. Yeah. So you're, you're never going to know. So it's very, you just almost have to be in the market and talk to people like, what are you getting? What do you, what's happening? But uh, to your point, I know, I think I know where you're going with the rents now. We're switching mm-hmm. strategies on that, but uh, I'll let you go with that. But it's also, it's very hard to run comps now. So yeah. Well, and so what we're trying to do now, just because of the uncertainty in the market, the uncertainty with employment, with what's going on with inflation and everything is we're no longer pushing rents. Like if we feel that the market rent is probably, you know, let's say seventeen hundred, we're not gonna go higher than that. We'll probably go a little bit lower than that. Yeah, we will. Because what we wanna do is find a tenant that's gonna be reliable. That no matter what happens, we know they're gonna be in that house come six months from now, come a year from now. So we're looking at their jobs, at their income. Cause we started seeing that a lot, even in, in apartments that people are getting almost co-signers because they weren't making the three times rent. So they're like, all right, you're making two and a half times rent, but if you have a co-signer, then you can buy, get this apartment. And I'm like, holy shit, like, <laughs> this is crazy. They're, you're pretty much saying like, because they say three times rent is what they're looking for because in theory, with three times rent, you should be able to afford your rent and yeah. all your other bills. The problem is most Americans have a lot more expenses. Well, it's what that's the problem than two thirds when people focus only on the money. Yeah, and it's like I need to get my returns. I need to drive rents. Rents can do it. Rents can do it. Rents can do it. The only problem is you're going to realize like when you start doing that and cutting your criteria, your evictions are going to go up. Yeah. Your delinquencies are going to go up. Your uh, it, it's just going to become much harder to rent the house. Your repairs are going to go up because you got less quality tenants. are going to damage your property more. And it's like that's the issue you're going to have when you drive. You buy high prices. You want to buy and hold and you try to push the rents to get even higher. And then the quality person, you're not going to be able to find. So that's what we're doing. It's like we're dropping prices where it might rent for $1,700. we are going to go for $1,600. Because one, we bought it at a time where our mortgage is low enough to where we can we have that margin to drop. And we understand that I get a better tenant in there. I will pre-screen that tenant a lot more yeah. to know, like, do you have the cash to float? You're not one car payment away or one breakdown away, flat tire car repair from missing rent. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've done that twice this last year where it's just like, dude, I don't care anymore. Like I want my rental portfolio to be as hands-off as possible. And that comes from the tenant, not just from the house. Cause we've already put a good quality product out there. Now I want a quality tenant. Well, I will gladly take 1200 less over the course of 12 months to not, and to get a better. So, tenant. so we have a, a little bit, uh, so let me put the final point and then I want to hit a, a, a question that I heard uh, recently. So the final point on this is you made an excellent point there where it's like you should not get into an investment and the only way it's going to make sense if the market pulls you out, right? That's like, I need to get this price in order for this house to make sense. I need to get a higher rent in order for this uh, rental to make sense. If it doesn't, you make that deal make sense when you buy. If it doesn't make sense when you buy and you're hoping it's going to make sense when you sell, my goodness, are you gambling? Like you are really hoping for the best there. uh, McElroy talking about this the other day. He's like, I see so many syndicators out there only syndicating to get the fees. Yeah. It's like when you it's like when you look at their numbers they have no like with, experience. The, with the interest no no not experience it's just like with the interest rates and the cap rates and everything he's like 
the deal that their carrying costs won't even let them hit their cap rates. Like they're doing it for the fees because they get massive acquisition fees and it's an easy industry to sell and raise money right now. Yeah. So it's like you look at syndicators, you have to watch that. It's like, are they raising money just to get the fees? Like, because yep. they can they can make anything look pretty on a spreadsheet. That's easy to do. Yeah. But when you look and understand the things that we just mentioned about higher costs, higher rents, higher turnovers, like those things are very expensive. And then you have vacancies on top of that. Like, so I'm sorry. It's very, and it's also you can't really go after a tenant. You can put a judgment against them and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but yeah. good luck good, with somebody luck that's renting something like yeah. that being able to collect because they're never going to own an asset. You're going to be able to collect. It's from. the same when I hear investors say, you know, oh, you know, if this contractor screws me, I'm going to sue them. I'm like, okay, yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Let's see what you're going to get from that contractor. Um, but you brought up Ken McElroy. He has an excellent podcast. I recommend everybody check out. Um, not instead of ours. That's on top of ours. You should check that one out. <laughs> and, uh, but he was talking about how what he's seeing because they, they they do apartment apartment buildings and all that. They he holds like I don't know over ten thousand doors, whatever he holds. And one of the trends that he's seeing is that on his three twos, four twos, all of these, he's getting application for essentially couples that are moving in together, like. Sets it. of couples, yeah. right? So you're having a guy and his girl, and another guy and his girl, or girl, girl, guy, 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 girl. whatever, whatever gender. Two, stop two. Talking, stop talking. Okay. Your story. So you let me move on. You don't get out. <laughs> Brian, start offending. YouTube's gonna shut Dude, us down. Stop talking. Okay. Go. Okay. God. So <laughs> they have different, but what what I'm trying to get to is that they're not all family, right? They're, they're friends, whatever it is, they're all moving together and pretty much essentially trying to rent out by the room because that's the only way they're going to be able to afford these rents, these places, these houses. So they are looking for bigger properties, bigger homes that they can move in with multiple people to make it more affordable. So that was very interesting. So as an owner of rental properties, would you allow that on your properties? 100%. Yep. It's one of the things like, I mean, it's hard to do. It's like, what is the, the status of their relationship? It's like, oh, I don't want them to break up and they move. Because some people you say- You got to check on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, But I would 100% because like I, we've, mm, I'm trying to think if we've had somebody like that. I know we've had two friends move in together and both had separate jobs. And, and we had that like, family with the mom and she was supposed to be getting a job. Yeah, but I mean, we have had that where it's like multiple people moving with multiple income streams, and like I would definitely do that. It's like, hey, you you have a couple, cup two couples moving in, you have four incomes there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you can well afford my house. To where if something goes wrong, you guys are on the leases, and you nobody wants the eviction on there because no. like that's the biggest thing you can hold over somebody's head is an eviction. Because once that hits their record, now anything they go try to rent, they're going to see an eviction. Yep. And that's going to be hard to rent something. It's not the money uh, that you're going to recruit, but that eviction is what you can hold over somebody. Uh, or no, all, all four of them do not want an eviction now. If something doesn't work, it's like, hey, you're all on this. You guys need to figure this out. So I would definitely rent to more than one family. And, and this goes back to a point, again, if I haven't said it enough, <laughs> education. Like listening to these other podcasts, listening to what other people are doing, it's going to give you ideas and things of what other people that maybe have more volume than what you're doing are doing to adjust for these things and give you ideas on how to manage it, how to run it, how to make it work to your benefit. Um, there's always a way, always, always a way to make money in any market, but it requires financial education. It requires knowledge to do it. So invest in that, 
spend time learning, reach out to people in your area that are doing it, that are doing it right, um, and build those connections, build those networks. So as we wrap up, uh, anything you want to add? All right. So, well, there you have it, guys. So, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Coffee with the Johns. Please share with your friends. Subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, show the love. Spread the love. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of work for us to put these together, but we love doing it because our goal is purely to educate and help you guys out, be better investors. It, it also makes us better investors, and, you know, we have a blast doing it. So, I hope you guys are enjoying it. Um, over the next coming weeks, it's going to be a little questionable, uh, when we're going to do another coffee with the Johns. Cause my wife is expecting any minute now, pretty much. Um, so depending on uh, the baby's schedule, <laughs> we'll see when, uh, the next coffee with the Johns is going to be. But in the meantime, uh, subscribe to our channel, stay posted. I will be going live throughout the week, uh, in the coming weeks, just breaking down these strategies even further where you can jump on and ask questions specific to those strategies. I'll go into wholesaling, flipping, a lot uh, deeper details going into marketing. So if you guys have any questions, you'll be able to ask me live and we can cover those things. So if you're interested, make sure you guys uh, subscribe and um, join our text community and you'll get notifications. What's for that all number? That. Our text community, just text YouTube to 210-794-9898. Um, and it's completely free. It's, uh, again, another resource for you guys and to get some help. So hope you guys all enjoyed it. Thank you for watching and we'll catch you on the next one.